0: Would you turn to Psalm 47? Psalm 47 will be our text this evening. This is actually a very simple and straightforward psalm. It divides up very easily into four sections. It begins with a call to praise and a reason to praise, because God is king, because God is sovereign. Then it goes into another call to praise. For the same reason, God is king and God is sovereign. And so we see two calls to praise with an explanation of why we are to praise God, and both times it's the same explanation. Because God is sovereign, because he is king, because he is to reign. And so we'll go through this psalm and see that it's... uh, there's a lot of meat here, but really it's, it's rather straightforward. And for that reason, I think it teaches us something about uh, our response to God as he has revealed himself to us. When we read of something um, describing God's sovereignty, it's to have an effect on the believer. It's to do something to our heart. It's specifically to stir our heart to that of praise, to singing, and to that of worship of our God. We see that in this text. So let us hear the Word of God, Psalm 47, beginning in verse 1. Clap your hands, all peoples, Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This is his perfect word. You'll notice verse 1 is a call to worship God, to sing to him. Verse 6 is a call to worship God. It's a command. Let's sing to our God. Verse 2 begins with the word for, which explains why we are giving God praise. And then after verse 6, where we're told to sing to God, it begins in verse 7 with the word for again. Why we are to sing praises to our God. Specifically, verse 1, clap your hands, all peoples, shout to God with shout loud songs of joy. It's this picture of an exuberant praise of God. And it's not just to a select group of people, but it's to all peoples, which is a picture of all peoples that exist. Clap your hands, all peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy. There's a universal command to worship God. To have only one God. We're not to worship him by image. We are to worship him according to his word. And that command is upon all nations to worship the one true God. And so we are told that we do this, but the question is, why? Why should we? Well, for Yahweh, that is the holy covenant-keeping name of God, that He is self-existent, it begins there. If that's not enough, the self-existent One that has revealed Himself to us, He's the Most High. He is the Most High, which speaks of His exalted authority. Which means he is above all things. It is a statement of his authority, a statement of his sovereignty. It is a statement of his rule that he rules over all things. And it, and it follows with this that he is to be feared and that is to tremble before him. We have these wonderful pictures, not only in the Old Testament, but primarily in the New Testament that are revealed to us that by, or in Christ that, that in Christ we have an older brother, that he is our friend, and that he lays his life down for us. And sometimes you don't quite see that picture in the Old Testament, but it's certainly there But we can twist that idea in the New Testament that we have a friendship with God through Christ to think of God as one of us, as if we could hit him in the arm, as we could our friends. No, he is to be feared. He is holy God. He is the one that causes awe-inspiring reaction to him. If we were in the presence of God, apart from the righteousness of Christ, we would be instantly zapped. We would be instantly judged by him in his presence. This is why we're told in Philippians to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Sometimes people say, well, fear doesn't really mean what we think it means. Well, then why does Paul say trembling afterwards? And that doesn't mean that we're fearful of God as we would be fearful of a tyrant. But it means we have a fear of Him as our loving, but yet holy, just Father. He is the Most High. He is to be feared. It goes on to say that He is a great King over all the earth. Now, if it just said... He was king over all the earth, that would make the statement that he is ruling over all the earth. But it doesn't just stop there with the fact that he is king over all the earth, but rather he is the great king over all the earth. He is standing above all as the sole sovereign ruler over the world. He's not just a king, but he is the great king, and there is nothing outside of his domain. It's all that exists is that he is the king over all of that. He's the king over all things. And verse 3 goes on to say that in his reign, in his sovereignty, he subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. That is, that he subjugated the people that would oppose God's people. That's a reminder that this sovereign God that is ruling over all things also is the one who brought his children into their land and conquered their enemies for them. That's a picture of God conquering Canaan through his people. It's to remind them That when we, when, when we sing of God's sovereignty, this is a God that actually is over nations, over peoples, over human events, over all the details of our life that we experience. The land of Canaan that Israel inherited by God's giving it to them was a very reminder of this fact that God controls nations, that God controls the outcome of the battle. He has subdued, that is, subjugated people under us, nations under our feet, is to speak of their utter defeat. Goes on to verse 4 He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom He loves. That is to say that God keeps His promises. Again, in the picture, once, once again here is the, the picture of land and God conquering a people for His people. You see in Exodus chapter 15, verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. That is their inheritance. That which God said he would give to his children, Israel, he gives them He subjects their enemies under their feet and then he chooses their heritage which is the land they receive. This is a statement to say God is good on his promises. If God has made a promise he will see that promise through. He is faithful and he can be faithful and guarantee this because he's sovereign. So you see that We realize his promises and take comfort in them because of his authority as great king, as the most high. He is able to ensure that his promises come about. You see the phrase here, the pride of Jacob whom he loves, is just a statement of Israel. In verse 5, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. It's the picture of victory. He goes up is a statement almost as if when Christ ascends to sit on his throne. And so the statement is, he has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet, is a statement of victory. After accomplishment of something, he then sits. But this points forward to our future. This points forward to what we will inherit, that his promises are accomplished. And so the psalmist then says, sing praises to God. Sing praises, sing praises to our King. Sing praises. And you know what that verse means? Sing praises to God. Why? Verse 7 again tells us why. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with the psalm. You notice this is a repeat of verse 2. He's the great king over all the earth. Here, God reigns over the earth. He is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Verse 8 speaks of his active reign. God reigns over the nations. That means he's actively right now over the top of all nations. I know we mention this often, and it's because it's so relevant when we see nations rising and nations uh, conspiring, and it can be frightening, wondering what's taking place in the world today. I don't exactly know, but I know this, is that God is actively reigning over the nations right now, that they haven't gone rogue outside of his decree and plan. They're in rebellion, rebellion against him. But that doesn't mean it's not part of his plan. God reigns over the nations. That means he is actively sovereign right now. God never ceases in his sovereign rule over things. God sits on his holy throne is another statement of his rule and why we are to praise him. In verse 9. It says, the princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. This is an amazing statement because, again, I think it's looking forward to this time when all peoples, all nations will come and bow before the king. It's not just the children of Abraham, but as Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 16, I have sheep that are not of this fold. This is speaking about the inclusion of all people that will come before God and worship Him. And that's already begun, hasn't it? That was already happening even in the Old Testament. And you see glimpses of that throughout the Old Testament. Uriah the Hittite. Not Uriah the Israelite. You see that with Ruth the Moabite. And when you read the story of Ruth, the author makes it so clear She's a Moabite, an enemy of God's people, but yet she is the one through whom the Savior will eventually come. All nations, all peoples will gather before God. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. He is the sovereign one ruling in whom There is protection. So what's this psalm telling us to do? This psalm is telling us to worship God. And it's giving us the reason why we worship God, because God is sovereign. So then, this brings the question to us that we need to deal with. Why does God reveal His attributes to us? It's for our benefit to know who God is. He reveals Himself to us That we might worship him. So, as we read this, that he is ruler over all that exists, it's something that needs to drive us to worshiping God. So, I just want to explore his sovereignty for a moment. First of all, we ought to note this sovereignty means rule means he rules over all things. And his ruling is active, as we've already seen. He reigns over the earth. What we experience in the unfolding of history, and what you'll experience tomorrow, should you have tomorrow, is God's providence. Providence is the realization of his sovereign rule. So everything that happens unfolds according to God's sovereignty everything does there's nothing that escapes God's sovereign plan if there was that means there would be something outside of God's control and God would cease to be God he would just be a more powerful being than us that's not the God of the Bible so God has a right to his sovereignty when we look at how things sometimes unfold, and we have all sorts of questions, and we think sometimes, well, maybe that's not, that's not fair. A very dangerous claim when we're speaking of God and ourselves, to say something's not fair, because the only person that's ever experienced unfairness was Christ on the cross. So, there's something we need to know about God's sovereignty. First, that God has a right of sovereignty. Psalm 24 says this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Why does God have a right to his sovereignty? Well, we could just give the easy answer, well, because he's God. But notice what the psalm says in Psalm 24 is that he actually created everything. Everything is his. He owns it. It's his right of ownership. It's his right of creatorship. Because it's his. In other words, it's not ours. We're to be good stewards of what he has given us. But at the end of the day, It's not ours. We don't get to keep it, so to speak. The other thing about this is we consider His sovereignty, and that is how He executes His sovereignty. In Psalm 97, we see He executes His sovereignty in this way. Psalm 97, verse 2. Righteousness and justice are are the foundation of His throne. Now, you notice the connection here between sovereignty and His throne. If sovereignty means that He rules, and we have the picture here of Him sitting on a throne, that is the place of ruling, that is the place of executing His his sovereignty, what do we know of His sovereignty? Well, righteousness and justice are the foundation of it. God is always just. God is always righteous. He never ceases to be that. So when God rules, when God is reigning, which God is always reigning, it is always on that foundation of justice and righteousness. And not according to our standard of righteousness and justice, but according to a holy God who can be nothing but righteous and just. Is there anything that God can't do? God cannot act outside of his character and nature. He would cease to be God, and God cannot cease to be God. He is. He never ceases to be righteous according to his perfect, holy, moral standard. It is who he is. God is righteous. God is just. He's not part righteousness. He's not part just. He is. He is a just and holy God. Just as we say God is love, God is righteousness. His attributes are who He is. There's something else here. As we think of this, not only does He have a right to sovereignty and The foundation of his sovereignty is righteousness and justice. He's not accountable to you or I. I love what Job says in Job 9.12. Who will say to him, what are you doing? Think about that from Job for a second. If you've suffered in life, you know what suffering's like then. Job has suffered tremendously. Lost everything. Lost his health. His wife tells him, curse God and die. Job experienced the sovereign hand of God in a way that I hope we never do. But look what he says. Who will say to him, what are you doing? God's not accountable to us. God doesn't check in with us and say, do you think this might be an okay plan for me to execute? I was thinking about doing this. Just wanted to check with you guys. He's not accountable to us. The other thing is this is, God owes us no explanation. Isaiah 45.9 Woe to him who strives with him who formed him a pot among earthen vessels, or earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. So the thing is that when we ask why, and it's a relevant question because we live life and we want to know why things happen, truth is God doesn't owe you an explanation. You have to know this, though, is that his throne, his sovereignty, and the foundation of it is righteousness and justice. We have to know that his promises that we've already seen are true, is that he's working for your good and working for his glory. So why it happens, well, we know that this was a righteous and just decree of God. We have to know that it's actually working for my good in some way that I can't explain, but it's doing something in my life. And he doesn't have to explain that to us. So I want to apply this now. The first thing is this, is as we think of God's sovereign rule, Christ, is the fulfillment of Psalm 47. He's our conquering king. And you think about when he rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey representing peace, what did they do? It elicited singing in him. They were in the presence of their sovereign king, and what did the people do in the presence of Christ? They sang to him, Hosanna. They recognized their king. And in the presence of their king it drove them to worship. Just as we're told we are to worship. Look at what we're told of Christ in Hebrews chapter one, verse thirteen, and to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? he never said that of angels he says that of his son who is the ruling and sovereign king and so as we come into the presence of Christ what should that elicit from our, our, our lips sing praises sing praises to the king sing praises to our God if you are in Christ may Christ elicit praise from your lips even now You see, the sovereignty of God, according to this psalm, is a cause of worship and praise. And so as we think about the the sovereignty of God, rather than it being a point of confusion for us and us trying to figure out, well, if God is absolutely sovereign and I'm making choices and how, how does that all work together, it's actually to be a source of praise from our heart that God is sovereign, that God is king, that God is ruling. And if it's not that, then we're missing why God has revealed this Psalm 96 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are his sanctuary. We're to praise the Lord for who he has revealed himself to be. And the picture of Psalm 47 is this exuberant praise, and it's repeated that we're to clap your hands and to shout to God with loud songs of joy. Why? Because there's a victory that we have in God. You know, I think of this iconic picture, and perhaps you've seen it, but it's Winston Churchill. And he's standing in Whitehall Palace on May 8th a VE Day. And he's standing there, and there's just a throng of people below him, and they are exuberantly cheering because the war was over. They experienced victory. And as they see Churchill come out, and he was in many ways responsible for the victory, they see him, and they cannot contain themselves, and they're, they're just shouting, and they're, they're filled with joy and happiness that the war is over, the enemy has been vanquished, they, they no longer have to live in fear, and they're, they're screaming, and they're besides themselves. That's our joy, but infinitely more so Because our God is sovereign and absolutely sovereign. And He has vanquished all His enemies. This also does something else for us when we think of God's sovereignty. It reminds us that we are to trust in His promises. Romans chapter 4 and verse 21, Abraham was, we're told, fully convinced That God was able to do what he had promised. You have promises in Christ. The reminder that God is sovereign is a reminder for us that we can trust in our God. That we can trust that he will do what he has promised to do. It's hard to trust anything or anyone these days, isn't it? Just like a year ago, I was buying all sorts of vitamins so you stay healthy. Then I read a report that, well, you can't trust vitamins because of these things might be in them. I can't even trust vitamins. You can't trust God who is sovereign. As He gave His children the land, He's giving us a new land. Something else that his sovereignty does is it needs to drive our focus in this life. We're told in Genesis chapter 1, Verse 26, then let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We've been given a mandate. Christ restates this in the Great Commission to go into all nations, baptizing them, making disciples of them. That is to drive our focus. And when we're focused on that which God has commanded, we are then at that point living for eternity. We are living for eternity when we follow the command that God has given us to go into all nations and make disciples. There's something else is that you can have comfort in trials knowing God's will is always good that God's will never fails and that because his throne is righteousness and justice what he has decreed is good and this brings a certain comfort I think of Samuel being called of the Lord And he reveals to Samuel, the young boy, that he's going to take out Eli's family. Now, Eli was an interesting character, but he understood something about God's sovereignty. And when Eli is faced with the news that God is going to wipe out his family, He reveals something very important for us in God's sovereign plan. Eli responds this way. It is Yahweh. Let him do what seems good to him. There can be comfort in that. Because God won't do something that isn't good to him. God will never act inconsistent with his own nature, with who he is. All that God does, ever, is always good. There's comfort in that, and there's also a submission in that. That God's will is good, and we can find comfort in it. And we ought to submit to it. There's another application of this for us, and that is this is if God is sovereign, as God is ruling over all things, how does this affect our prayer life? You know, because sometimes people will say something like this, well, if God is sovereign and God has decreed everything that has taken place and will ever take place, and God is immutable, then whatever takes place is going to take place. So, whether I pray to God or not doesn't change God's will. Well, you can't change God's will. His will is immutable. It's eternal. That's absolutely true. God's mind doesn't change. But yet we're told something in Scripture over again, and that is what? We're to pray to this sovereign God. We pray because He is sovereign. Think about what Jesus says in this parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. And He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Said, "Hear what the right, unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? You know what this—this, this, these eight verses can be summed up with this: is Jesus is telling." Us, he's telling his disciples this, never, ever give up on prayer. Never give up on prayer. If an unrighteous pagan judge will listen, how much more will our Heavenly Father listen to his people when they cry out to him day in and day night And who's being changed in that? You and I. Not our immutable God, but we're being changed. Think of what Jesus says when he's to depart from his disciples. In John chapter 14, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name... That's the qualification. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Why or how could Jesus make that promise? Because he's sovereign. We pray because God is sovereign. He has determined the beginning from the end and in His sovereignty driving you to prayer, He is changing you according to His sovereign plan. The fact that God is sovereign drives us to prayer and should drive us to our knees in prayer. There's something else that God's sovereignty helps us with, and that is this is hope for the lost just how many of you know those that are unsaved and you pray for them you plead to the Lord for their soul that that he would show mercy that he would have grace upon them and would pour out his spirit upon that person's heart that they might be born again I know that you do We all do. We all know people that are unsaved, that we just, it breaks our heart, and we want the Lord to save them. Guess what? There's hope. There's hope in God's sovereignty. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus looked at them and said this after the question, Then who can be saved? Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. You see, his sovereignty gives us hope for the lost. Jesus has commanded us to go and share the good news. And he has promised us that the the instrument of salvation is the proclamation of the gospel. That through the preaching of the gospel, people will be saved. And so the fact that God is sovereign, that, that God is working all things out according to His plan... It doesn't leave us feeling hopeless for our friends or our loved ones that do not know Christ. But it actually is to stir up hope in us and turn us into that persistent widow and to plead with the Lord. Lord, please save this person. It's impossible, except for with you. With you, it's not impossible because you are sovereign Would you do a sovereign work in their life now? Would you change their heart? Would you replace that heart of stone with a heart of flesh? Would you bring them from death to life? Lord, my lips fell, but you are sovereign and can work with me. You can bless the means that I use in sharing. Would you do that, Lord? You see, if God wasn't sovereign, what hope would we have for the lost? If God wasn't completely and absolutely sovereign, we wouldn't have hope for our lost friends. And guess what? If God wasn't sovereign, we would have no hope for our own salvation. Everything goes away with that. God's sovereignty is an. Means of comfort for us. And we could go on and on in listing ways. But these few ways here that we have listed here tonight ought to drive us back to what the psalmist tells us in light of God's sovereign rule. And that is this. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. When you see King, you think, our sovereign God, sing praises. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are sovereign over all things. You rule over all things. All things are happening according to your perfect plan. And we thank you for your perfect plan in sending your Son whereby we would receive salvation in Him. We thank you for the comfort we have from knowing that you are sovereign, that the, the world's not just a chaotic mess, but actually things are happening according to your plan. Even when we don't understand it, even when we're uncomfortable, we know that you are sovereign. You are our God. And you have made yourself known to us, revealed yourself to us as our sovereign God, and you have revealed yourself to us in our sovereign King, the Lord Jesus. We pray for comfort even this evening. We pray for our trust to grow, knowing that you are our sovereign God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.